0: Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here. A tax package for the squeezed middle New Zealand. Someone earning $60,000 will get an extra $25 a week or $50 a fortnight. We want a more powerful paycheck, says Chris Luxon. Do you agree? Text me 2101. A bill that lowers the voting age to 16 passed its first reading in Parliament yesterday evening. The taxpayer's union says, this is not the way to go. Make it 16 says, yes it is. We have both on. And the joy of kids playing on the street. Wasn't it exciting when you could do it? Auckland Council aims to bring it back. Can you recall being able to play on the street in your youth. Love to hear from you. Text me two one zero one. You can email me the panel at rnz.co.nz with me today. Julie Woods, an ambassador for blind low vision NZ, a professional speaker, coach from Utipuri, Dunedin. Kira Julie.
1: Kira Wallace, Kira New Zealand. Lovely oh, to be here.
0: Loud and clear, Julie. Lovely <laughs> to have you on.
1: I don't know how I'm going to get out of this studio, Wallace.
0: We'll find a way. <laughs> We'll find a Someone way. Someone come and get me. If the yeah, we <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we can manage, Julie. But for now, thank you. Nick Leggett is the chief executive of infrastructure in NZ. Former mayor, of Pororo. Kia ora, Nick. Kia ora, Wallace. Kia ora,
1: Julie. Kira Nick.
0: With us, Julie and Nick today, good to have you both on and to this. Houses that are of historical value but not heritage buildings. That's been a thorny issue in the hut where, in the view of the Hutt City Council, a group of properties around Petone, Moira, Wainui Mata hold significant historical value but not heritage buildings. And after concerns by residents, an independent panel described the Council's proposal as dubious. So is the Council using heritage as a fig leaf to avoid intensification? With us is Phil Barry from the Voluntary Heritage Group. Kia ora, Phil. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you? Good. And this issue is before the Hutt City Council this afternoon, I believe.
2: It was indeed. And I'm very pleased to say that the council finally listened. That the panel, the independent panel, did a very professional job. As you said, they found that the houses that the council had suggested had uh, value, historical or heritage. Same thing. Um, that was dubious. Clearly, they do not have historical value. They are just ordinary run-of-the-mills homes. Many of them have been heavily modified. Some of them are derelict. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they the. So the council unanimously agreed to accept the panel's proposal and uh, has backed off the idea of having six, six new heritage areas in the hut.
0: How very interesting. Nonetheless, Phil, I mean, this is a very historic area of Wellington. You know, 1850, the power at Petru Hornet described as the largest and best fortified within that district there. Europeans first settled there January 1840, the oldest settlement there in the Wellington region. Should we not protect heritage at All costs, Phil (laughs) Barry. Look, no question that homes
2: and properties that have real national significance heritage, they should be protected. And of course, if they're doing that for public benefit reasons, then the public no doubt should pay. What the council, though, tried to do was to add, currently there's about 90 homes in the in the hut that are heritage listed, plus there's the national heritage ones. You know, Vogel House, obviously, real heritage value to the country. But we're not talking about those here, Wallace. We're talking about just everyday, one of them all homes that the council, for some reason, identified um, 450 of them you know, and okay. and those owners were going to have to bear huge costs, huge consequences. There was no evidence they had any heritage value. I could show you some pictures. I wish I could. You know, you, you would cry. They oh, are just right. normal places.
0: Well, I'll cry when I see the photos. Send them to me. I'd love to see them. But, I, will. Uh, shall I, will. I Shall I go to Nick Leggett first? Because, Nick, of course, you know this area really well.
3: Yes, I think? yes I do. Oh, Phil, um, congratulations! Um, it's great that, that the council have seen uh, sense here. I, I'm interested to know from you. I mean, I've I've been through much smaller issues like this. It, it's really difficult this definition of you know what has historic value and what doesn't. What was the motivation here, Phil, uh, for the council? You know, essentially forcing 400 homes into this category. Look. You'd
2: have to ask the council what motivated them. Nick, I could only, only speculate. I, I have had a long experience with the council on, on this issue, and I'm afraid to say there's a very small number of council officers whose job is about heritage. And um, you know, it seems and there's a few people in the community who, who really care about heritage, and, that, and that's fine. I mean, I care about heritage too but I do not agree with the council mandating that people's family homes somehow have heritage value without the owner agreeing to it or at least without some compensation for the considerable extra costs that the homeowner faces.
0: Okay, stay there, uh, Phil. Julie and Dunedin, of course. um, Dunedin has many uh, areas of heritage significance, needless to say, as well.
1: I'm thinking of Bond Street um, oh, honest, yes. to start with, you know, that's now used as a, a film set. So, I, Phil, I'm wondering how well was the vision um, sold? Because very often when the, these things are proposed, people aren't told what the, the vision is for um, a, a project or a, a passing of something like this. Do you know what the community was told in terms of what the overall plan was?
2: Yeah, well look, the independent panel reviewed the evidence, they reviewed the process, and they were highly critical of what the council had done. They basically said that there was no substance, that the, they, these places had dubious heritage value, in other words, doubtful. They didn't believe it. Secondly, they said the panel, the, the, sorry, the panel said the council said was ad hoc, preemptive, and potentially duplicative. They didn't consult properly. They throw, tried to throw in two new streets right at the end. I don't think the owners of those houses were even told at all. So, yeah, they, they definitely didn't bring the community with them.
0: OK, so this is very recent news. It just happened this afternoon, so uh, very new. I guess uh, congratulations is in order. So is is this the end of it for for you and the voluntary heritage group?
2: I, I wish it was, Wallace, but the reality is this is the third time the council's had a go at listing private people's homes as as heritage and when they're just normal, ordinary houses. You know, we have a national heritage body. That's the one that should be doing this, things that are really of, of national significance. If the council's going to get into it, then... You know they should be looking at compensation, and and the reality is that you know people's homes will probably fall by ten, maybe twenty, maybe thirty percent. So no, I'm sorry, it's not the end of it. But um, you know, one thing we've made very clear. Well, one thing the panel made very clear is that the bar for heritage is very high, and from our point of view, we will continue to fight this.
3: Quick Just question, Island. Nick. Quick question for you, Phil. I mean, <clears throat> you talk about a national body doing this. I would question whether you would get this kind of result if you were fighting a national body. I think the fact that you've got a local mm. body uh, mm. making the decision, right or wrong, you have a better chance okay. of pushing back as a community.
2: No, that's a fair point. I, I have a lot of sympathy for that that perspective. What I, I guess what I was really trying to say, though, is that we should be
0: protecting properties that are real, nat-
3: of real national to significance. The
0: Really interesting, Phil. Um, well, I guess congratulations on 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 that outcome, and uh, it's just news out this afternoon, so uh, I do appreciate your time on the panel this afternoon. That's Phil Derry from the Voluntary Heritage Group there on when is a heritage building not heritage? Nonetheless, though, I mean, it's a, it's a great part of the country, great, great area, and um, there's a lot of significant heritage there, isn't there?
3: There is, and there's, you know, it's a there's a real diversity of that community was, yeah. and part of that diversity to to cater for it, we're going to have to see more density there, which is, you know, we've started to see that around Jackson Street, and um, right. Petone, but the there is probably need, you know, more people are going to want to live there, more people are going to want to um, to stay there, and and that's got to mean new development, yeah. change, very very cool.
0: All right, we have Nick Leggett and Julie Woods on uh, this afternoon, and lovely to be with you. Someone uh, just texted here uh, about um, supporting blind, low vision and out walking the dog and saying uh, a quick hello to Julie. So there you go, Julie. Uh, Hello, dog walker, puppy walker. (laughs) That is uh, for you. All right, uh, why don't you start, Julie?
1: Well, I've been thinking, Wallace, about um, the capital B for Braille, and last year the Braille Authority of New Zealand, at their September meeting, voted to have Braille to be now written with a capital B. Previously, it was a lowercase b when referring to Braille as a format, and only a capital when it was referring to Louis Braille. But now, um, Wallace, Braille is to be written with a capital B, uh, as in Louis Braille, and in honour of him and the contribution that he made to the world of the blind.
0: What an interesting insight. <laughs> that mm. I did not know. No. And no, well, that you... makes quite a difference, a small B to a capital B?
1: Well, it's a bit like the deaf community, you know, capital D for deaf. It's owning the culture. Ah. It's making a statement. Um, it's been proud of the code that we use and it being blind people's primary literacy tool. So just really a, a big emphasis on, as I say, Louis Braille as well. And next year, 2024, will be 200 years since Louis Braille invented that system of raised dots um, at the age of 15. Wow.
0: Isn't that something Mm. Really cool. 200 years since that uh, system invented. All right, very good. Dolly, thank you for that. Thank you, Wallace. That. Yep, good on you. Uh, Nick Leggett, mm. I've been thinking.
3: Well, this this comes uh, from, well, it follows on nicely from the issue you just discussed with Phil Barry, and that's I've been thinking about housing in Aotearoa and how we support the construction sector to build more of it and to support more people to own or to rent a decent house, a warm and dry house. We've built more houses than ever before over the last decade or so, but in the previous 12 months we've seen uh, a 30% reduction in resource consents for new dwellings, and that is a bit of a problem because it's pointing to uh, a bit of a bust cycle. Um, and we know we've got to build more, we know we've got a deficit here. And it, I've been at the New Zealand Construction Industry Forum today, and they're talking about how, you know, what are some of the, the sort of the big policy ideas or the big policy decisions that could smooth out the bumps. And we know that we need better planning uh, to open up land. Um, but also we need to build with more density, so building up, not just out, and faster consenting for more standardised products. Um, continued improvement in our building standards, so we get those healthier homes. New Zealand is quite a way behind on that, and that that really fits in with the standardised stuff, so we can lower cost. And of course we've got to build the infrastructure for, for transport and for that underground three water infrastructure particularly. And sometimes you know we will often we play catch up, and we've got to, we've got to plan better. We've got Got to really hand those tools to the to the decision makers. Two and things I want to talk about.
0: Yeah, Agu. better design. Where's the good design? You and Tommy Kimokado right now. Look around you. Look look outside. When you get in that hall today, look outside. Also, cold homes. A person's just looking at me right now. His name's Adrian. He's from he's from Stuttgart. He's just come back. He said he is so cold being back at home in uh, New Zealand because guess what? All of our houses are cold. Yes.
3: Compared to Stuttgart, yes. I mean, you've got a scarf what on and we're going, inside, yeah. I mean, that's the New Zealand way. <laughs> I, I had a, I had a shocking, shocking. Ex- experience when I found out there's a there's an Irish academic um, who um, works uh, in this in the healthier homes uh, and and standards area. He and I were born in the same year, 1979. He told me that the the building standards for Ireland in 1979, the year we were born, were better than New Zealand's I've heard are this. today. And that, to me, is a crying shame, and it, it just it, it just reinforces exactly what you've just said. And that's why we've got to better standardise our build, but also lift our building standards if we want to make people healthier. And we've we've got to, you know, and, and, and that then f- fits into the sustainability argument. So we're not wasting energy heating spaces that lose
0: I, heat. I'll tell you one thing though, I'm keeping the scarf on. Is that all right? Yeah, that's all right. Good on you, Nick Leggett. <laughs> Julie Woods here on the panel, and there's lots to discuss, including National's tax plan just after four on the panel.